Did the recording thing turn on? Okay. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we're having this discussion about cat names. We've got pumpkin uh, musicians or pets names after musicians. Hamim Uhur Abdullah. Well, that's interesting. And then I have a friend who has a dog whose name is the same name as my daughter. And I want to punch him. He's not naming his dog after my daughter, but anyway, back to our learning of Al-Fatiha. So where we left off, we've been speaking about the day of judgment and the fact of Allah as master of the day of judgment. And so we spoke a little, uh, quite a bit yesterday about how justice may play out, inshallah, on the day of judgment, with the key point being that there is accounting between each and every one of us, but the actual true justice is me and what Allah has put before me, with me and what Allah has given to me, me and what Allah has taken from me. That's where much of how justice plays out. Uh, and then you are judged according to your context. Because if you're judged for your deeds, your deeds are choices. So if you're judged for your choices, every choice is made in a specific context. And so that's what it's, uh, you're being held to account for. And so as opposed to some universal scale that every one of us has to fulfill, that would be a different system. Okay, any questions about, about Allah as master of the day of judgment or the anything related to our discussions of the day of judgment? Asim. Um, I, uh, yesterday at the end of class, was still sort of struggling with some of the ideas about interpersonal wrongs and things. Yes. And this is, I'm, I'm about to reveal a lot about myself, but the, the like sort of super nerdy, um uh, political side of me realize that it's sort of like parliamentary procedure where each individual can only address the chair they can't address each other okay and so and so in this analogy basically allah is doing accounting with each of us individually and so we see every action regardless of where it comes from as an extension of what allah is doing for us or to us yeah that makes sense yes okay is that a question that you're asking for yes or no or um, yeah i'm asking if the framing makes any sense or if yes, it does something that is a perfect segue into this exact point of allah as the malik or the malik of the day of judgment and we know that allah is the malik or the malik so the malik is like the owner malik is more like the the sovereign, uh, he's already the malik of everything. So what can we infer from the fact that he's speaking of himself as maliki yomidin is that it will be undisputed, that you will not be able to speak except when you are called upon to speak. And you will not be able to address anything unless you've been given the opportunity to do so. So on the Day of Judgment, there will be no dispute about Allah as the authority and such. So yeah, uh, Nadia is saying, what if you ask someone for forgiveness and they keep saying no? Then it's no. So let's say I do you wrong, 
let's say I steal some tire from your car. I don't know why it's the first thing that came to mind. And, you know, I offer to give it to you back. And you say, no, you've hurt me like no one has ever hurt me before. And you refuse to give me forgiveness. In in common uh, Orthodox Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, you ask three times. We don't have a, a practice like that, uh, a prescription like that. But let's say I just never stop asking for forgiveness and you say no. Then I still owe it to you that I will have to pay you back on the day of judgment. And then it's that same scenario that if I have good deeds to give you, I hand them off. If I'm out of good deeds, then you give me some of your bad. Cool. Makes sense, Nadia? Meaning a person is not obligated to forgive. Here's where it gets even more fun. Seems like an incentive not to forgive people. Oh, wonderful question. Let me get to that in a second. Uh, number one, are you obligated to forgive? No. Can you give terms? Hey, look at what's happening on my screen just because my hand is up. Uh, can you give terms? I will forgive you if you do X, Y, Z, assuming it's not unreasonable, and unreasonable is very wide. You can also give terms for forgiveness. And so the famous example, many of you have heard this story, of this guy who goes, he's traveling somewhere, and he stops by this orchard, and he eats some of the fruit from the plants, the trees, the bushes, and such. And he goes to the owner and says, I just ate like, you know, three of your apples or three of your oranges. Um, can you please forgive me or can I pay for them? And then the owner says, I will forgive you if you work for me for eight years. Yeah. And if, however, you work for me for eight years, then on top of that, you have to marry my daughter. And my daughter has no arms, no legs. She's mute. She's deaf. And she's blind. Okay. If you want me to forgive you. Okay. And the man is like, all right, I want his forgiveness. So he worked for the eight years. And then he says, okay, I've completed the eight years. All right, I'll now marry your daughter. And he hasn't met the daughter until after the nikah, after the, sorry, Arabs, the kitab. And then uh, then he is in the bridal suite with her. And there's this completely healthy, beautiful woman. And he says, wait, your dad said all this about you. And she said, yeah, well, my dad was speaking the truth, but he was speaking metaphor. When he's saying, uh, I have no hands, I haven't committed any sin. I have no feet. I've never walked towards sin. No, I'm deaf. I've never heard any sin. I've never seen any sin. I've never spoken any sin. No. And then they go on to becoming the parents of Abdel Qadr Jilani, one of the big sheikhs of Islam, one of the biggest of sheikhs of Islamic history. So, what was actually taking place? It wasn't that the man, the owner, was giving terms for forgiveness. The owner was impressed that this, this guy was asking for forgiveness for something as menial as a couple of pieces of fruit that I'm not going to miss. So let me see if he's worth my daughter. And then they go on to having, you know, one of the greatest scholars on, you know, scholars of, of history. Yeah. Sounds like the current market. Yeah. So back to your point, Nadia, is it an incentive for me to for, uh, not forgive? No. Because if I forgive you, if 
you forgive me for stealing your tire, you're cleaning my slate, but you are getting rewarded for forgiving me. So forgiveness is not mandatory, but it is considered to be better for us. And a way to think about it is, I mean, for those of you who might know the Bible, you have, for example, Deuteronomy, or you have, you have the Old Testament, then you have Matthew, or you have the New Testament. New Testament is forgive, 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 give the other cheek, right? Old Testament is hardcore justice. And so Islam is sort of like in between the two. You know, that forgiveness is recommended, but justice can be uh, enacted. Any other questions about this? All righty. So <clears throat> we are also taught in narrations that the prophet, peace be upon him, is saying that Allah is saying that when you are reciting Al-Fatiha, when you're saying Bismillah rahman rahim you're calling upon Allah. And Allah is saying, my servant is calling upon me, that when you're saying Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Allah is saying that my servant is praising me. Now, to whom is he saying this? By the angels. And when the angels are hearing this, it is fair to assume that then they are praying for you. Okay? And then when you're saying, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yom Ad-Din, Iyakin that Allah is saying, I'm going to give my servant whatever they ask. And so this is what Allah is offering. And then again, to the angels saying this, that it is fair to assume that the angels are there then praying further for Allah to give us what we're asking for. And this gets into the next two ayahs. So we have, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And... Mustafa, you're again our Arabic scholar today. Um, what is, he's like, oh man, he's called on me again. Uh, what is the difference between iyaka na'budu and na'buduka? Are you familiar? We worship none other than you as opposed to we worship you. Yeah. So iyaka is you alone do we worship. And uh, wait, what am I writing here? Sorry. Um, and then you alone, we are asking for help. Emphasis, solitary Allah alone. That's iyaka. Good. Now, <clears throat> what's built into this simple translation is you alone, we worship. And remember, we actually gave a more precise definition of, of the root of na'budu. You alone, do we give our most extreme love. This is ibadah, to be an abd, to be an abid, to be doing uh, what we're saying here, na'budu, is to give your most extreme love. So the point, again, deeper is we're saying what? Everyone does ibadah to something. And then you have to decide what it is, to whom, to what you're giving your ibadah. And then on top of that, in terms of this grammatical form, there's four readings built into this. You alone we worship. You alone we will worship. We do not worship anyone else. We will not worship anyone else. 
So when I'm saying, I'm saying, you, Allah, I worship. You, Allah, I will worship. I do not worship anyone else. I will not worship anyone else. Likewise, for the second half, you alone, we seek help. So from you alone, we seek help. Good. Same four. You alone, we do seek help. You alone, we will seek help. We do not seek help from anyone else. We will not seek help from anyone else. So the first half, I think we've already established when we spoke of Allah as ilah, al-ilah, a couple of classes ago. And so now speaking about the second half, simple question, theological question. And the answer is kind of easy, but the explanation might take a little bit of effort. If I'm saying here, you alone, I ask for help. I do not ask for help from anyone else. Then does that mean if I have a flat tire, if I have a car problem, I can go to a mechanic or I can go to a doctor? Can I get help from others? It's easy to say yes or no, but what's the explanation? Mustafa. Uh, yes, we can ask for help from others because any help from others is through God. God okay. provided that means for us. And so... It's essentially recognizing that whatever means we get in the end is what God has provided for us. Okay, good, inshallah. Anyone else? Any other thoughts? Ifat, what do you think? I was going to say something. Yeah, wow. that's the power of being a teacher, but no, go ahead. So no, I was going to say that I think the manifestation of this trust is um, seen upon it being challenged when the source, the worldly source of God's mercy upon you, like wh whatever that means is like, when that's taken away, like, do you lose hope? Or do you feel like, okay, like, this is horrible, it's scary, but I know Allah's gonna take care of me. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but, because I feel like the, the the response when you've been relying on something to serve you in a certain way, that what are you going to do without it? There's nothing else mm -hmm. because you become comfortable in it, you know? So is that a yes or no? Um, well, uh, you can definitely rely on the sources. Allah, Allah will, uh, like, like, I think I said this before, like every interaction with the dunya is actually an interaction with Allah. So if he's sending you something, and it's halal, that's from him. But okay. he can take it away just as easy because it doesn't it, belong to it. you and it's not owed to you. Okay, got to cut it. So akin to what Mustafa is saying, everything that I'm getting help from is sort of an extension of what Allah is putting forth before me. So thus, essentially, I'm getting help from Allah. Yeah. Asim. Um, I think that's like all of that is true and i also think that um you like this help cannot be granted to you without the permission of allah okay and so like th this is kind of that thing we've touched on uh a few times in this class where uh nothing happens but for allah's will okay and so even if someone else is helping you with something 
even just uh, the prayer, like, yeah, Allah, make it easy for me is, is the same. It's, it's still, you're still asking for help. That's still part of what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And your thoughts? Nobody wants to say no. Yeah, you guys are a bunch of modernists. Okay, Danya. I do think this is a difficult concept, though, um, to stand by throughout. Because I want to say yes as well. That every um, every aspect that we get in this life is from Allah Pantana. But what if we don't get that help that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you have to have a perspective change of, oh, maybe this isn't this isn't the kind of help that I need right now, but then you have to trust that Allah has your best interests. But then again, like nothing is owed to you. So I think this is difficult to juggle in reality. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then awesome says, in theory, if we say no, we'd have to drop off this call since you're helping us understand Fatia. I agree. So long. Like, no, okay. Uh, Mustafa. Uh, and I typed in chat, but like, if I wanted to add an extra aspect to everything that we've been saying, it would be like that it falls within tawakkul, mm-hmm. and we are called upon to do so. I explained that point. Um, so tawakkul, um, essentially, God tells us that He will make things happen for us, uh, be it the provision of sustenance or, um, helping us in our time of need so long as we put forth the effort. Um, And so like our effort doesn't guarantee the end result, but without our effort, nothing's going to happen. And that all happens through God essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And the means with which it happens might in the end look completely different from what we're expecting as Nadia was uh, referring to. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Yeah, very good. So, so by the fact that Allah Ta'ala is calling us to to have tawakkul is sort of implying we can infer uh, that we have to put in the efforts uh, toward which we are seeking help, inshallah. Okay, and your thoughts, reflections? Yeah, um, just wanted to add. Yeah, Sadia. Um, yeah, just uh, that I think um, somebody was talking about perspective. So yeah, it, 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 gives you a good perspective on what you want to happen versus what you really need in Mm -hmm. Allah's plan. So if we really believe that everything that's happening to us is coming from Allah, then, then we have to also believe that even though this particular help that is coming to me is not what I want, Mm -hmm. but probably it is something that I would need. And I probably might not understand it at this point, but it will turn out to be better. As And sometimes that better, um, and I agree that it, it can be a very hard concept to really digest, that better can may never look like better, you know? But, um, for example, someone gets divorced or someone in the family dies or you are in a really, really bad financial trouble or something like that. And the help either doesn't come or the whatever comes is 
not what's really helping you. So it's really hard to really make sense of, is this what I really needed? Is this mm-hmm. divorce what I really needed? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it, uh, it goes to the point of tawakkul too. And, and just, just to give us some perspective. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that on one condition that you're still praying for what you want. And then you're praying to Allah to make what you want be what you need. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. And your thoughts and reflections on seeking from for help, seeking help from other than Allah. Okay, there's a couple of ways to answer this question. One, the first one, which is column A here, is essentially levels of faith. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to call the first level of faith the level of physics. Second is the level of ayat. And the third is the level of 24-7. Just explain. Uh, Islam, Iman, Ihsan. The first level of faith is the level that most people are at, where the world operates as it does, cause and effect the way we all think it does, so forth and so on. And there, you're speaking to, for example, a physician. Physician gives you a medication. You take the medication. It causes a chemical response, physiological response, and done. The second is where you are praying to a law that this physician can help you. So your prayer is actually to a law. And then the medication that the physician gives, you pray that this gives you the cure that you're seeking. So there, you're actually putting the whole power in a law, as opposed to the medication or the training of the physician. The third level is where everything is dua. And here, you are above taking medication. There might be some people who are deluded who think they're at that level. Not too many people are at that level where you are beyond medication. It is dua where you're getting what you seek. So, yes, you can definitely ask for someone for help. But to be clear, where is the power? Second is an easier answer. It's a sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Did the Prophet, peace be upon him, turn to others for help? Of course, with everything, right? Even for protection, he got help from the kafirs of the Quraysh. So there, if the Prophet got help from others, then definitely we can. Or he sent the Muslims to Abyssinia, for protection under the Christian king. So far, so good. The third, however, is what is the surah about, actually? The surah is not about general help. It's about help in what? The answer is in the next ayah. What we're actually seeking 
that only Allah can give us is guidance. The Prophet does not have the power to give us guidance. Only Allah has the power to give us guidance. If the Prophet had the power to give guidance, all of Arabia would have been Muslim. Abu Jahl would have been Muslim, as opposed to the Prophet, peace be upon him, asking for Allah to make one of the two Umars, Abu Jahl or Umar ibn al-Khattab, become Muslim. See what we're saying? That if we take the ayah on its own, it's easy to read it in a universal sense, but in the context of the surah, it's not a universal uh, question. You alone, we ask for help in guidance. Make sense? And so there's a principle, a couple of related principles in terms of the study of the Quran that uh, the seeming universality of an ayah, like that seemed to be applying to any type of help, or the limitation of an ayah is qualified by the rest of the Quran. So, for example, there are ayahs that say, on the Day of Judgment, you will have no intercession. Okay. But then in Ayatul Kursi, who is it that can give intercession except by Allah's permission? And then throughout the Hadith literature, we have many narrations of different ways of getting intercession. So the key point here is that every ayah stands on its own, but the boundaries of the ayah are often informed, informed by the rest of the Quran. Small point, technical point, which may not be applying to most of you, but it applies very much here. So the next ayah, Ihdina Siratul Mustaqif. So we're asking Allah, guide us on the straight path. Okay. First, some, some simple basic questions. When you hear the term straight path, what can you infer from it? Or what does it seem to mean? Forget Islam for a second. Think of GPS. And I'm taking the straight path. What is this telling me? Sadia? Path going to Jannah. Okay, so the destination, the straight path has a destination. Uh, Jewel is saying there's also crooked paths. Nadia is saying it's the shortest, the most direct. Uh, awesome. It's the simplest and most efficient path to get to the destination. Sure. Simplest, most efficient. Tabish. Um, yeah, I kind of relate a little bit to what was just written. Uh, the aspect that there is also the opposite of it or essentially uh, distraction to it. It also, I feel, relates to the previous verse too where there's this concept of you alone do we worship well there could be others that you could essentially go to yeah so there could be other destinations uh absolutely now applying this within dean what are the destinations of the straight path so one uh sadia mentioned paradise jannah what is another destination of the straight path 
Another is avoidance of hell. The ultimate destination is Allah or Allah's pleasure. So now think about it. In a given moment, one moment I might do action X. I might give this person some money because I want Allah to reward me. And five minutes later, I might give this other person money because I don't want Allah to punish me for not helping this person. And then another five minutes later, I might uh, give this other person money just because I want the pleasure of Allah, heaven or hell aside. And so all the three of these are destinations of the straight path. Which one is the best one? Allah. Yeah, it's Allah or the pleasure of Allah. Both are essentially the same thing or headed the same direction. Is it wrong for me, why or why not, to do something just because I want to get rewarded? Like, I otherwise would not help this person, but I want Allah to reward me. What do y'all think? You're asking if that's wrong? Yeah. Mustafa. I don't think it's wrong, per se. Um, I don't think it's the best. I think, like, reward and punishment is a clear mechanism that God created within us to urge us to do things or avoid things, but I don't think it's the best in that I don't feel like it's the most sincere. Mm -hmm. I think the most sincere is not an action that is done with a reward or with like gaining a reward or avoiding a punishment in mind. Okay. Inner thoughts? Uh, Jewel's saying, I hope it's okay. I've trained myself to do it for a nice. Danya. Do you mean, when you say reward, do you mean like for the sake of Allah? So I'm saying... Let's say uh, I do this class just so I can get reward in Jannah. As opposed to I'm doing this class to please Allah. Oh. Or I am giving this person money because I want to get reward. I want Allah to pay me back on the day of judgment. Okay. As opposed to out of my love for Allah, I'm giving this person money. I see. You've, you've complicated this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Asim. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think any of it is, is fine. Like, if you're doing what's prescribed, regardless of your motivation, uh, then you are doing what's prescribed. Like, if, like, and, and so, for example, if I'm sick and I need to take medication, does it matter whether I'm taking it because my doctor told me to, because I want to be well so I can play with my kid, or because my wife is forcing me to? The end result is the same, right? Okay. But there are three different intentions, yeah? There are three three distinct intentions. Mm -hmm. um, but the the but I think that I like I'm not saying that they're all as good as each other. Um like in that analogy, I guess my, my, the best motivator would be to take care of myself. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it's okay to do it for any reason, as long as I'm doing it. Okay. Uh, not that the intention doesn't matter, but the, the action does matter. Okay. 
in this. So I agree with you, except up till the last point, because my intention could be that, yeah, I need to be as healthy as I can to, to continue with my life of crime, right? I mean, obviously there'll be bad intentions available too, or I want to be healthy so all the ladies can see me, you know, very bad intention. I want to be healthy so all the employers can see me. And, you know, as I apply for Mr. Universe, you know, whatever the case may be. So otherwise, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Mustafa and then Sadia. Let Sadia go first because I talk a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I mean Sadia is too much love, but go for it, Sadia. Thank you. Um, so I think it would be a level. It, in my opinion, it should be okay um, sure. to ask, you know, to do things for reward. But I think it would be a level of Islam. You know, when we talk about Islam, Iman, and Ihsan, so if we really want to go to the level of Ihsan, then we would be doing it for the pleasure of Allah, mm-hmm. um, with or without reward. So. Mm-hmm. so, very much so. Mustafa. Uh, and I can't remember the exact verse uh, or ayah, um, since we're all Muslim here, so I can actually use ayah and people would understand. Um within the Quran, but there is one very specifically that talks about the heart and the impact of intention or pursuing that which is good on the heart. Um, and so I think this is also something that is useful to think about. It's imperative to think about within the context of like, why are we doing what we're doing? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what what God would look at is the state of our hearts. So the more refined we can get our hearts to be, the better, and that comes with intention and sincerity. Uh, very much so. That we will especially be discussing, inshallah, when we get to around ayah 6 and 7 of Al-Baqarah. Tabish. Yeah, I think uh, back to like the concept of like um, like uh, if per- Perhaps in a real world example, if if there's a statesman that's laying a, a gentle kiss on a baby in front of a camera versus someone who is perhaps giving food to someone that is in the back of an alley that no one sees, perhaps there's good in both the actions, but I'm sure there's an element of, uh, you know, whatever one wants to look at it with a, a higher degree of intention and perhaps yeah. virtue. Yeah, totally. Uh, that those would be potentially different. Levels of intention. Mustafa, define for everybody what is riya. It's when you do something in order for people to look at you and think you're a better person for it. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like a good act that would be devoid of sincerity. Its whole purpose is to make people just look at you better and think of you better. Yeah, it's show off. Yeah. So, for example, uh, the metaphor that the Prophet is reported to have said about this type of intention uh, of showing off is that it is so subtle. It is more subtle than a black ant on a black shiny rock in the middle of a dark night. That's how subtle the motivation to show off can be. And this is a very bad intention equated with shirk. Uh, Nia would be intention. Ria would be um, showing off. So, yeah, I didn't know this. 
Okay, so all of these are good intentions. If I am living life, doing things only to avoid hell, 100% selfishly, this is still a good selfish. If I'm living life, making my choices only for Allah to reward me with all the wonderful things of paradise, purely selfish, otherwise I don't care what happens to anyone I'm doing good deeds to, still a good intention. But the better intention is that you're doing this for the pleasure of Allah. Yeah, awesome. Can you rank the other two? Uh, I'd say they'd be equal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this gets into a famous poem attributed to Rabia, uh, Rabia uh, from Basra, where, and I'm paraphrasing, she's saying, you know, my Lord, if I'm serving you to avoid hell, then you should just dump me in hell. And if I'm serving you to be granted paradise, then again, just dump me in hell. But if I'm serving you out of love for you, then please do not deny me any of your splendor. And then there's another narration attributed to her where she's walking down the street with a broom and a bucket of water. And then people are asking her, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm going to paradise and hell with this broom. I'm just going to fill it up with dust and dirt so no one finds it appealing. And then hell, I'm going to extinguish all the, the fires of hell with water so that people actually serve Allah to serve Allah out of love for Allah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are actually not really rhyming words, as Mustafa is saying, and feel free to write them out. But uh, in Urdu, they, they rhyme very well. Okay. So the point I'm making is that there's good selfishness. In our contemporary culture, there's often the notion that if something has any amount of selfishness, it's bad. And so sometimes Muslims become more pious than what Islam is actually requiring of them. And that the line that Islam is requiring people to meet is often lower than what people think people should meet. So there's all kinds of selfishnesses that are actually good selfishnesses. But the best is that you do something out of seeking the pleasure of Allah. Now, another point to consider <clears throat> is how you imagine Islam is going to affect and inform how you practice Islam. So a couple classes ago, I said that how you imagine Allah, how you truly perceive of Allah, is going to directly affect how you understand what's happening in your life. If you, <clears throat> if you perceive Allah as punishing you, then you're going to focus much more on the bad that happens in your life and see them as punishments from Allah. So many times I'll have students who come to my office Far more women than men say, saying Allah hates me. Why? Because I'm a horribly bad person. Why? No, I just am. And and they've decided that Allah hates them would, out of nowhere, except for how they've been conditioned by parents and Sunday school and all those things. And thus, that will affect how you look at what happens in your life. And so I might tell everybody, oh, Allah is so merciful, but maybe in my heart, I see Allah is abandoning me. And so then, as I'm going through life, I'm going to see it as, okay, Allah doesn't answer my prayers. I keep praying and praying. He doesn't answer my prayers. He's not listening. He doesn't care. And that will affect my whole worldview about how life operates. And so when we're saying Allah is so merciful, as many times as we mentioned it in the first part of this surah, and I get hit with a struggle 
the struggle still hurts, but I think to myself, subhanAllah, it could have been so much worse. And all of us, if we look back at life, we can give it different, all kinds of examples. You know, multiple times over the 10 years I've owned my car, it stopped. Not multiple times, maybe like once every like two or three years, it stopped on the highway in Chicago, like whether it's Lakeshore Drive or the Dan Ryan. One time it stopped in the middle of rush hour on the Dan Ryan, which those of you know Chicago, that's a very, very scary highway. And and so I'm waiting for a tow truck. I can't move my car. And all it takes is one person behind me who's texting and I'm dead, right? But me sitting there in the car for an hour, tow truck arrives, pulls me in, takes me to a dealership and then I get paid or then I get I have to get charged some huge horrendous amount of money. But I could have been dead. I could have been maimed. Who knows what could have happened? Many, many moments uh, uh, like that. All of us have had in our lives where you had this big challenge, but it could have been even worse. You see that if you truly see Allah is pouring mercy on you, you're still understanding he's going to hit you with struggle. But the struggle could be even worse. And again, in terms of speaking to someone else, you don't say to them, you know, I'm sorry your whole family died. But your whole family and all your extended family could have died too. So it could have been even worse. So I'll be happy. No, you don't do that. So, so how you imagine a law will affect how you look at life itself. But how you imagine Islam will, number one, affect your motivation. But number two, will definitely affect your child's motivation. And number three, will guarantee almost solidify your grandchild's motivation. So let me explain this. If you truly look at Islam, the way we say all these things on the screen, that this is, there are other ways of life that are crooked. This is straight. There are other ways of life that take much longer. There are other ways of life, but they're all more complicated. There are other ways of life, but they're far less efficient, more tedious. If you truly feel that Islam is effectively the easiest way of life, it's going to be easier for you to practice it. Most of us, because of the way we condition, we see Islam as this giant collection of burdens that I have to do, and I have to do it for the whole rest of my life. I got to make my prayers every day. I got to do this and this and this. And then what you start seeing is people who are upright in their 20s, maybe 30s, in their late 40s and 50s, they all start falling away, and they all start committing gigantic sins they never would have thought of themselves committing 20 years ago because they start giving up. Because in their brain... At this part of it is they feel like they've just been swimming upstream in this giant burden that just never ends. And those of you who are my age, you've probably seen it among many of our colleagues, our peers. Those of you who are younger, you will see it happen with many of yours. Inshallah, not too much. But a way to really frame this uh, is think of this akin to the way we think of physical fitness. In physical fitness, I have to carry some short-term burden with the clear assumption that it's long-term ease. Whether it's diet, whether it's exercise or other healthy choices, I have to engage in these short-term burdens for long-term ease. But then what else happens is when you get into the habit of these healthy choices, you start enjoying the healthy choices too. So if you go to the gym on a regular basis, you start enjoying going to the gym. If you exercise on a regular basis, not necessarily at the gym, you start enjoying it as well. So in terms of contemporary analogies, that often I find to be very, very fitting 
that you look at the dean the way you look at physical fitness, which also means you have two people, one person who's focused on good choices and the other person who says, no, I'm going to live the way I want. In the short term, the second person has the easier life. In the long term, then all of their bad practices catch up with them. In the short term, the first person has struggle, but in the long term, they have a much healthier life. Right. Likewise for Dean. So Jules saying, subhanAllah, I would have assumed the 30s and above would be contemplating death more and due to the fear Allah would seek out or fear would seek out Allah. Uh, for some people, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I mentioned, basically when I turned 50, now it just seems like I'm at death's door. And there's a bunch of people I don't even want to you know, use my time with because they're just time wasters. And and literally, I look at it as, all right, if I'm giving you my time, I'm giving you something very, very privileged. You know, uh, because death is literally like knocking in the back of my head. Uh, for other people, it's like, oh man, I got a party even more. I missed out on so many cool things. And I have to do all the haram I missed out. And it's sad watching it happen. Okay, any questions about this? So what is the key principle of today? Not so much who to ask help from. How you imagine Islam will affect how you practice Islam. And then I said it's going to affect your child because your child will inherit all the things that you dislike about Islam and your child is going to see right through it. You know? Your child knows if you're being sincere about something better than you do. Your child knows if you're practicing something because you like it because you have to, or, you know, you would otherwise avoid it. And your child is going to internalize that. And then their child is going to internalize it. And so if you have this dislike of Islam, but you force yourself through it, then the odds are your grandchild is not going to be a Muslim, especially in America. And so this is why for what I, you will hear from me is every person needs to rediscover, reinvent their Islam every seven to ten years because you've lived seven to ten years more your understanding of life has changed and so your understanding and practice of islam has to be re-understood re same applies for a husband and wife you need to rediscover your love every seven to ten years because what worked for you ten years ago is not going to work for you as well but husband and wives will often forget to do so because they'll have kids and they put all their focus on kids and then it catches up once the kids are older yeah. Uh, Mustafa, it looks like you're going through some very serious processing at this moment. Share if you'd like. Um, a lot of what you said I can relate to. Like, actually, <laughs> the past 10 minutes of everything you've said, like, I've been able to relate to in so many ways. Um, when you got to the point of um, that... Our grandchildren would inherit would inherit uh, our Islam. So, what it is that we like about it, or whether we do it just for the sake of doing it or not, I feel like I experienced that growing up because I did get to a certain point where, like, I asked questions and didn't really get answers that I felt made any sense, and so I questioned everything and. Thankfully, I I feel like God put in me a sincere pursuit of truth. And so I made a prayer, which was, well, if this is true, please help me see the truth in it. 
when I was reading the Quran and contemplating it to see whether it made sense for me and whether I do believe in it or not. And it made a world of a difference for me. But I also recognize the fact that that could have gone in a completely different direction. So mm -hmm. it's it it hit very close to home for me. Yeah, but then the part about like reinventing your not reinvent revising your Islam essentially essentially or taking another look at it every 10 years or so that that's also something I hadn't considered and so it actually like also there's a certain profundity to it that I I just feel like was a light bulb moment yeah, mashallah good alhamdulillah finishing off we have a couple of minutes left uh, Islam is referred to by the Quran by a number of different names. <clears throat> and, and so, names of Islam. And I'm listing these out not so that you have names of Islam, but then different ways to imagine Islam. Okay. So one is Islam itself. What is the literal meaning of Islam? Usually we'll say obedience, peace, submission. More literal. It's to enter into peace. So this is making a statement about the Islamic lifestyle. Is that it is to enter into peace. Which is then making a statement about a non-Islamic lifestyle. And then we said straight path. And a few others. One is the just middle pinnacle community and so here is basically an emphasis on the community of Islam which is something we didn't yet touch on we will uh, revisiting this ayah inshallah tomorrow because notice we're saying you alone we worship guide us on the straight path and so there are a couple names and then by extension light or light upon light and this we find across traditions that darkness is often associated with the wrong way light is often associated the right way and then in other cultures when islam has come in it's gone by different names but the point i want you to think about is not the name as much as what is it saying about this islamic lifestyle what is it saying about this islamic worldview it's one that is a pathway to peace another one it is the most efficient the easiest the straightest path Another is that it is a path of justice, which is essentially moderation, which is essentially the best way to live in community. It is a path of light. And there's more. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections before we end? So once again, no class tomorrow. We will reconnect on Wednesday, inshallah. And then no class on Thursday. We will reconnect on Friday, inshallah. You're all welcome to have class with each other and just you know talk to each other and be cool and all that stuff. But I will not be participating. All righty. We'll stop. If but. Do you mind if I add something? Yeah, of course. Please. I was thinking about this and it's like, you know, um, love I think is the root of so much. You know, I think like what we desire is love and tied in that with that is security and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it moves us to action. 
things that we think we could never do, you know? So, um, so when you think about it, right, like when we act out of love, let me give you an example. So when you have a pregnant woman, right, she could be like a smoker. She is not going to touch a cigarette. Let me tell you for nine months, she's not going. And, you know, like, you know, not us, but like people who aren't Muslim who are drinking, do not touch alcohol. Not us know any, any, any Muslims who drink. Yeah. Continue, please. Yeah. No thing for following the rules. So, so they, she won't touch a drop of alcohol. She's not going to do it, you know? And like, it takes a smoker about six tries to quit. She's just not going to smoke for, so why is that? You know, it's, it's interesting because you know, when I think about it, you don't give yourself that choice. It, and this is why I think um, following Islam, if you could truly do it, you're not debating anymore. You're just submitting. You're entering. My, my dad was telling me this. He's like, when you are a Muslim, you are fully entering into Islam. Like you are fully like submitting your will completely. And then you don't have to like debate as to me, like the way I interpret that is that you're not debating. Like you've made a choice out of your love to submit and say, I'm doing this. I do. I think that's like, it's conceptually makes sense. I think it's very hard to do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like based on, you know, whatever it is that you struggle with, it could be very difficult, but just, yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think love is a stronger force than duty. We might be doing these things out of duty. I have to say it like that because when I give this talk, you know, with, with eighth graders, I'll start laughing duty anyway. So, uh, uh, love is a much stronger force, uh, and it's a longer, uh, stronger force that is easier to sustain. Absolutely. And so thus the best intention is that you're doing this out of love for Allah. So. My point also that like, I think that that's where the peace comes. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah. Alrighty. Any of the last thoughts, comments, reflections? We'll stop right here. Those of you who are actually joining for the six o'clock class, once again, I got to cancel this. And so you're all going to get knocked out and then we'll re-enter. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastagfiruka wa natubu ilaik. May Allah tell reward you all. And by the way, Mustafa, your sister has just joined class, but I'm going to kick you both out. Okay. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.